It be too late to alter course, matey. And there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove. And mark well me words, matey. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 91 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. How dare you, my intro. At least it's not as bad as what you were doing the previous week when you were just hijacking the whole thing. (laughs) This time it's a bit more subdued, so I appreciate it. You're welcome. It's like when you get beat, but then you only get slapped, you appreciate the slap. And so that's really what it felt like. Good. I figured it being Friday and all, and with just one week to go until Dead Men Tell No Tales arrives in theaters. Yeah, we could just jump straight to the minute. I didn't really have anything. How's that even possible? Well, actually, it's because I didn't have anything going on, and I just wanted this. It wasn't in honor of Dead Men Tell No Tales. I just didn't really have anything. Yesterday, you didn't have anything left. Now today, you don't have an opener. What is wrong with you? What do you mean an opener? That was kind of an opener. Kind of. Oh, actually, I do have something I remembered, and maybe we can talk about it regarding Pirates of the Caribbean Minute 5, if you want to make a liar out of me and say that I had nothing. So I guess I do have something now. I mentioned Dead Men Tell No Tales, and now it's jogging my memory on that. So I was going to talk about it before, and I don't remember. Something else came up, and I scrapped it. I probably interrupted you. Uh, Maybe. It's probably very likely. And I know there's some skeptics out there who didn't like the evolution of the franchise after Curse of the Black Pearl. Some of those out there thought it kind of went downhill. And they have been wondering which direction this movie is going to take. You know, So there's been some skeptics out there. How, yeah. how, how good is this one going to be? Well, obviously I can't answer that without seeing the movie. But I came across an article a week or so back or maybe more. And it was Orlando Bloom talking with a newspaper or something like that. And he assured everyone that There'll be a return to form, kind of this whole idea of resembling the first Pirates of the Caribbean film. And I have a quote from him here, so let me try and scroll, see if I can find it. Okay, Will says, I've seen the movie and it's fantastic. For a lot of people, the first movie is their favorite and they wanted to bring the film back into line with that. So the narrative is similar. They don't go overboard with the special effects. When you're seeing some of these action set pieces, they actually got filmed. People were actually there doing that as it was in Pirates 1, 2, and 3, that I was involved with. I was inside the water wheel as it was running downhill, and that's in Pirates of the Caribbean Deadman's chest. I was on top of a wire. All of that stuff was real. It was totally nuts, but really cool that they did it like that. And they've done it like that again. That was the end quote. And I think when he says overloaded with special effects, he must be talking about them filming on location and outside or on ships and sets as yeah. opposed to a green screen or a blue screen studio. Oh, okay. Because as we all know from seeing the trailers, special effects are pretty much an anchor to this movie. Yeah. Overboard with special effects. I don't know what he means by that unless he just means, like I said, in the studio with nothing there and there's just a bunch of screens. But they yeah. at least maybe have some sets. Well, I guess I should also say anchor after Jack Sparrow special effects then because Jack Sparrow is kind of the anchor to that. So hopefully he's right, and I think most of the audience would like a return to what everyone got hooked on to the franchise in the first place. Yeah. 
my thoughts on that. This may be controversial, but like Star Wars in the recent Force Awakens, there could be a resurgence in some of those great franchises, getting back to the basics of why we love them. Yes. So all you prequel lovers out there, don't hate me. <laughs> don't hate me because I'm an originalist. <laughs> don't hate me because I like Force Awakens. Yeah, I admit it. I like Han Solo. I liked him returning. I liked Chewbacca there. That's what I wanted. Well, yeah. Why wouldn't you? I didn't want anything other than want... that. I wanted them I there. Gonna... I wanted them there. That's what I wanted. You I wanted to see them The back. only one you were missing that you, you were sad that he wasn't in there was Jar Jar. Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. I did want Jar Jar Binks back in The Force Awakens. That would have been awesome. Oh, man. Jar Jar. No, you, you Jar Jar. Were, you I think Chewbacca hurt. ate Jar Jar. <laughs> That's my theory on that. Then, if he were to come back, Chewbacca would have just mangled him. He probably would have. He'd have ripped I, his arms. If out they of were the together, Chewbacca, Chewbacca could not handle Jar Jar. No, he, he would say, "Oh, this He'd guy's got to go." And now, once again, we've gotten derailed. So let's get going. As I said, it's Friday. Deadman Tell No Tales is coming up. So let's get this party started. In the previous minute, Captain Jack Sparrow takes a decidedly noble turn and scolds one of the cursed crew members interrupting him from slaying one Elizabeth Swan. Invoking the right of the golden rule, Elizabeth returns the basic principle with a blow to the head from the butt of her gun, sending her would-be killer into the drink. Where's the rum? I mean, where's the medallion? I mean, where's dear William Turner? Asked Captain Jack. The first we know is empty, thanks to Gibbs. The second now has gone from tiny monkey hands to the oh-so-smug Barbosa. And the third, oh yeah. Where is that dear of a lad who came to save my life? Wasn't he below deck? You know... The one with the door stuck below the mast of the interceptor, effectively trapping any living soul amongst cannon fire and rising water? That'd be where Will is. Oh, no. Minute 91 begins with Captain Hector Barbosa telling Jack Sparrow, We name the monkey Jack. He continues by addressing the crew, Gents, our hope is restored. The cursed pirate crew throw out their hearty cheers, raising their pistols and cutlasses into the air, while Jack, I mean Captain Jack, manages a half-hearted smile. The minute ends with the HMS Interceptor exploding as the trail of black powder left by Twig and Kohler reaches the storage barrels. Shock hits the motley crew. Jack and Elizabeth are stunned. Elizabeth yells, Will! Stop it! Stop it! As she rushes Barbosa, who's taken in all the action from the rail. Well, well, well. This one is action-packed. That's where... How dare you just... Again, you hijacked it! This all set up like, well, 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 and then, no, you just jump in. We finally get the name of our freaking monkey. That's the big news for me. Yeah, when you were in doing the cap, were you talking about Captain Jack Sparrow or Captain Jack Monkey? That's true. I can't say Captain Jack anymore because the monkey hypothesis, the Captain Monkey hypothesis. Exactly. So actually, who it's are called you the talking monkey about Captain smiling? Hypothesis. Half-hearted smile. That would actually be Captain Jack Sparrow. Oh, Okay. Because Captain Jack Monkey gets a smile in here, but he gets a cheeky grin. <laughs> I didn't notice that until you pointed it out, actually, in the, <laughs> on the movie. As soon as Barbosa says, we named him Jack, or the Monkey Jack, he gets this grin, a ear-to-ear grin across his face. Yeah, that's a pretty cool shot. We'll yeah. have to share that with the... I'll have to do a screen capture and put that in our... Our listeners group because it is it's, a pretty funny it's shot. It's pretty cute, actually. Yeah, the monkey He's a actually. Cute little monkey. All of a sudden, he became a cute little monkey when he was a little bastard and <laughs> doing all these greedy little things. Now he's oh, he's so cute. <laughs> so easy for monkeys to turn their perceptions, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, and we definitely spoiled that name quite a bit ago. It's just it's just always so hard when you know what's coming and then you can't 
reveal it. Yeah. This gets back to our Mr. Smith, Captain Sparrow deal that we way back way in the beginning. Because that was his name that we were given for the movie. But yeah, now we have Captain... Well, I'm not Captain. We have Jack the Monkey. Jack the Monkey. Captain Jack the Monkey. It's nice to give that little dude a name finally. Yes, about time. It's actually quite fitting given the monkey is a greedy, selfish little thing and his name is Jack. It kind of fits with Jack Sparrow, doesn't it? Yeah. I really like the, I just really like how that fits with it. Because Jack is really always thinking about the pearl and his treasure. Yeah. The monkey is a pirate itself because it's looking for its treasure, which is actual treasure. Treasure, yes. So I think or it's to captain the black pearl. Or yeah, well, he could already be captaining the black pearl. We don't know yet. He could already be, or he is. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Oh yeah. What are you losing faith in your whole thing here? I didn't want to just. I don't want to push my hypothesis on other people. I want them to come to it for the evidence that really shows that it's there. Okay. So I present it, and then I leave it open for them to interpret when knowing full well that the evidence really backs up the monkey captain <laughs> hypothesis. Speaking of things I really like, notice that awesome transition there? Yes. I really like the symbolic gesture. Barbosa belittling Sparrow in a moment where the upper hand Jack had for a brief amount of time and then shifts back to Barbosa. It's the changing of the guard moment and Barbosa's retort to Jack giving him the apple treatment and that gets thrown back in his face. Do you even know what I'm talking about, the apple treatment? Yeah. Do you even know what's going on here? Yeah. Are you even present right now? I am present. Present and, and accounted, accounted for. for. So you don't have any comments on that? I mean, is that... No, it is. I mean, Because <laughs> Barbosa gives him that, that... We named the monkey Jack. And so right. obviously he's finally telling Jack that the monkey's now named after him. But it's his... Delicious his smug, apple. His It's his delicious revenge yeah. to Jack for saying... You want this apple? Exactly. <laughs> Got really it. Pissed off. Okay. Got it. But why? Why is Jack insulted? Oh, he doesn't like the monkey though for being named after the monkey. But exactly. He doesn't like the monkey. He doesn't like so. the monkey. Yeah. He's ca- this is a guy who wants to be called captain. If you leave off the captain, he gets offended. He's a captain. Yeah, I know, but he gets offended with that. So you think that he's happy that they're going to call the monkey after him, like he's a monkey. Not that he just didn't run across a mast in the previous minute like a monkey. I don't know. I'm lost. You. Oh, this is where I was going. If you were have your doctor, you'd want people to call you doctor. What does that have to do with what we're talking about? People calling Jack Jack. I know. Captain. Okay, yeah, we, okay, we get that he wants captain. We're talking here that he's offended because the monkey is called Jack. Yeah. So Jack has that air about him. He wants people to call him captain. He cares about his ego, his reputation. He's always asking Norrington or others, but you have heard of me, right? Yes. The last thing he wants is people to go, yeah, I have heard of you. You were named after a monkey. Yeah. Because he doesn't want that back, that switched. He wants to be known for his exploits, not because somebody comes rolling into town and saying, hey, meet Captain Jack, you know, and it's a little monkey. That'll blow his mind. (laughs) He's like, what are you talking about? I'm the original Captain Jack. (laughs) No, the monkey was named after me. See? Yes. He doesn't want that switch because it's very likely Barbosa rolls into town and says, can you believe it that Jack got his name from a monkey? Rolls into Tortuga. Yeah. Yeah. Barbosa is all of a sudden at the Faithful Bride Tavern and yeah, just spreading the lies of how Jack Sparrow actually got his name from a monkey. (laughs) See? There you go. That's why. That's why he's irritated. 
And that's why Barbosa loves it so much. I also believe this may be a nod to Treasure Island. And if I remember correctly, Long John Silver was Captain Smith's quartermaster. And Long John Silver named his parrot Captain Flint in mockery. And then there's this whole buried treasure thing. Captain Flint killed the men that helped him bury the treasure. The map finally falls into the hands of Jim Hawkins. And then we get this pirate adventure looking for silver and gold. But the moral to this particular story that I'm telling here is that Long John Silver named his parrot Captain Flint after Captain Flint. Huh. Kind of a neat parallel there. Yes. So it's a similar set of circumstances, but maybe a bit of reversed or related in some weird tangled way. Barbosa and crew mutiny, strand Jack on a deserted island. Barbosa and crew run off to claim the Aztec treasure, and sometime during this time, after relieving Jack of his duties, name the freaking monkey Jack in mockery of their past captain. Right? Yeah. That's a little rude. <laughs> See? Now yes. you're now you realize what's going on. Oh, you know, because Captain Flint and Long John Silver, now it becomes real to you. You're like, well, that's just pure stupidity. How could they do that to Jack? Now you see it. I see it. Now you see it now. And this monkey is kind of a... A butt? Yeah. (laughs) Well, he did torment Will just by like, ah, screeches as he runs off. Like, because he just, you know, we talked about that. Okay, I'm not going to go over that again. Hey, Barbosa says, gents, our hope is restored. But we all know where Will's at. Yeah. And what happens in the end of this minute. Kabooey! (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Their hope isn't restored if Will's gone. They don't know that, though. Well, they don't know that Will is They don't one. know that he knows that she knows? Yes. But yes, their hope is not restored. They don't, but they don't know that anybody is on that ship. That they need the blood. Well, yeah, I know that. They just that. have the medallion. They have that one key piece. Because without that last one, it doesn't matter if they have the other person. Right? So they still need it. They have their hope restored because it's not like Elizabeth dropped that medallion into the bottom of the ocean. Yes. But their hope is no longer restored when they blow up will well that it's still restored they didn't find out yet now if jack had said you idiots will turner that would have been the son awesome, of bootstrap actually. was on that ship and then you could have seen all their faces go <gasps> that would have been awesome yeah that would have been awesome to see well because they probably all jump off that ship to go try to get an itty bitty piece of him <laughs> you know what i mean i would right but most pirates can't swim. So then yeah, but these ones still can't drown either. That's so. true. They'd just be like floating around out there. Yeah. But see, that's what you should have went with it instead of just saying their hope was lost because well, they didn't know that. Now, that's I why know you they have didn't to... know that. I know that their hope is lost. Yeah. So, okay. Never mind. Yeah, that's right. Never mind. I think we need to walk the plank there or something. But I do because Heather Hornswoggled my thing there just to finish up that last thought too. Is that I think it's nice that they actually add a Treasure Island reference, or at least that I can read in a Treasure Island reference, because that Long John Silver character really is kind of that one who's credited with starting the hard R manner of speaking. And not to mention being a famous pirate story, so why not give it some props? And especially since the one person, which is really cool in this particular movie, who actually does the hard R talking is Barbosa. Who's the one who has the monkey who named it after the, his previous captain and in Treasure Island, Long John Silver, who has the hard R, who has a parrot, names it after his previous captain. So I just think it's a really kind of cool, cool circle yeah. there. Yeah. 
those are the fun Easter eggs that I like. Those little kind of nods to pivotal works or other movies or things like that that make their way into it. But I thought it was cool. It is cool. I also like the way, since I'm on a like bandwagon right now, the way Twig lights the powder trail. And in probably every other movie where we have to light powder or gasoline or a fuse or, well, whatever flammable liquid I can put in my insert flammable X here material, it's usually someone drawing their gun and shooting it directly. Yeah. But here we have a great realistic twist and that twig lights the powder with his flintlock rather than directly shooting it, which is really cool. Oh, Did you yeah. notice that? Yeah. So you can see him put his unloaded gun a bit sideways near the powder and then he pulls the trigger. So the flint, and because he has a flintlock pistol, so this is how it all works. The flint strikes the frizzin and the frizzin, which is a piece of steel on the priming pan lid, opening it and exposing the priming powder. The contact between flint and frizzin produces a shower of sparks. So it's like these burning pieces of metal yeah. that is directed into the gunpowder in the flash pan. But since it's not loaded... It just produces all these sparks, which lights the trail. So it's just huh. like an empty gun because it still sparks. Right. And he still had it ready to go. And it lights the powder, which I thought was a really neat twist. Right. He didn't have any matches on him, huh? No, he didn't. But it's that it, it destroys the movie cliche. It would have been nice if they had matches. But why have matches when you have a flint pistol? Exactly. I'd be lighting all kinds of stuff with that. <laughs> Just for the heck of it. Yeah. That's probably why I don't have a Hey, look at this leaf. Yeah. Heather, you need your candles lit? (laughs) Scott, you're catching the house on fire again. That's probably why then you won't let me have a flintlock in the house. You got that right. She could see the writing on the wall there. Yep. But I I do like that. I think that that's a nice touch of realism. And because they opted for that realism there, I think I should give them a pass on the powder. They appear to be using a modern smokeless powder, which is a relatively slow burn rate. Black powder is incredibly fast and would be like this giant flash if ignited. It'd just go really quickly. How do you know this? You've done it before? I have not done it, but I got a story about something like that. And I, yeah, maybe I'll tell it. But anyways, let me finish this up. So for the movie, they needed a little timing delay, obviously, to set things up to get back to the Pearl and get move away from the Interceptor. And then definitely there's the onset safety concerns, which means they opted probably for modern powder than a bunch of black powder on the set. You can go to YouTube and see like burn rates or comparisons between modern smokeless powder and black powder. And it's like night and day about how quickly they move. They'll do side by sides. And it's what you see in the movie, that slow burn. But when you light black powder, it's just like a... Oh, okay. Goes like up. you're like you're It'd lighting be like Christmas vacation in the Christmas tree when the cat when they plug in the Christmas tree because the cat had bit the wires and exposed the wires yeah. and then the tree just turns into a ball of flame. That's like it. It just flashes. It's a big flash with a lot of like smoke. Like when you like the barbecue with the gas. Yeah, <laughs> it would be kind of like that. Yeah. Again, you don't like my examples. You got to come up with your own example. Ah! But I was going to tell a story about, and I, I don't know if I should, maybe I will, but I was at a friend's house and he had this wild idea to create a smoke bomb and he thought, okay, this is going to be fun. We're going to create a smoke bomb. And the idea was, is that we'd mix saltpeter and some sugar. He started cooking it on his stove inside his house in a pie tin, like an aluminum pie tin. Yeah. And... When this, because this mixture gets really hot and it's supposed to create like a, it just gums up, if you will. And yeah. So it can mix together and then you would be able to light it and it create this huge smoke. And I was like, okay, how much smoke is this really going to do? Whatever. I'm here to, to watch you do this. And 
all of a sudden, because it got really hot, that as he was cooking it on this thin pie tin yeah, and mixing it, and this is inside his house, his mother's house, not his house. We were young. And all of a sudden, it caught, it ignited inside the house, and then it melted the pie tin. And this the thickest column of smoke that came out of a pie tin shot into the air like no tomorrow. I think the, I think the, from what I remember him saying, and I haven't looked it up, but a pound of this mixture, if you were to make a pound of it, could actually fill up a city block with smoke. Seriously? That's what it was told. And I didn't believe it until I saw this small amount that he had on this pie tin ignite inside the house. And it's the thickest column of smoke, like just shot up along with this giant flame. And then pretty soon the entire house was covered in smoke and it looked like, and you couldn't see, it was so thick, the smoke. And I'm like, get that thing out of the house. And so he ran out and he put it in the garbage can. But by that time it was already just, and the garbage can was just smoking like no tomorrow. But his house was completely just, it's like a fog had moved into his house. Like this unnatural fog. (laughs) The unnatural fog moved into his house. Yeah, and it was pretty crazy. So don't try that at home, kids. Lesson learned, or friend lesson learned, I was there as the bystander. Strictly a bystander. But I did help him open every single window in the house and try to use fans and things to blow the smoke out before his mother got home from work. Man. It was a nightmare. Okay, enough with childhood stories. Elizabeth escapes. Let's move on to that. Like I said, I'm not endorsing you making smoke bombs in the house. That was only stuff that could happen back in the day. You're not allowed to do that anymore. Let's talk about this Elizabeth escaping. Yeah, I got to talk about it. I said I could bypass the black powder thing for obvious reasons. Well, I gave yeah, them a because pass it was because just of safety. That. Well, I gave them a pass them. too because they were realistic with the yeah the lighting of it. However, I'm not sure I can forgive them or let things slide when it comes to tying up a motley crew on the pearl here. <laughs> Everyone is tied around the mast, but when Elizabeth decides she's going to try and like, oh no, you know, what's going on? Will Turner, right before the explosion of the Interceptor, she runs and she just simply lifts the rope and runs yeah. towards Barbosa. Okay, who was the skeleton brain that really tied this rope here? I figured that out. It's Rigetti. Was it Rigetti? I don't know. Ah! But it's something Rigetti would do. I mean, seriously. That's true. They're not tied up at all. Do you see? I mean, she totally... Just lifted it out and up over her yeah, head. Yeah, it was it's just like, like a token. And so why would the rest of the pirates just sit there? Well, I had some ideas about that. I mean, I guess they really had nowhere to go, first of all. Well, yeah. And they're just playing along. You know, they don't want to get killed now. Right. So they're already prisoners. So maybe this, well, maybe the rope was like kind of this timeout. This is your boundary. <laughs> sit tight. Don't move beyond the rope barrier or else. I think it's Pintel. You know, Pintel's like, hey, just stay within the ropes. They were all put on a timeout. The rope was the designation and they were supposed to stay there. There's always that one person who's got to try and flaunt the rules and that's Elizabeth just going out. It's a woman, I swear. That's right. But there at least could have been some effort made to look like it was hard to get free or get out of. (laughs) Struggle a little bit. Just don't like, oh, I got to take this off. It's like pulling the medallion off. What is it with them breaking chains and ropes in this thing? (laughs) 
This is like, she's a very strong woman. I guess. I mean, throw me a freaking bone here, Miss Swan. Instead, she just lifts the ropes and walks under it like she's skipping the line at the Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> theme park ride. How dare you, Miss Swan? You stand in line with everybody else. But that is funny, though. I don't think I have any excuse except the timeout. Like they're not going to go yeah. anywhere because you can never tie just... somebody up like that. Yeah. You got to tie their. You got to tie it really tight, especially you have all the different body masses and types there. You could never get the it. The tiniest one's going to get out. Exactly. You can't make it tight enough unless yeah. you're tying all over the place and really wrapping them up like mummy style. Because then somebody you can kind of wiggle and get out. But that was beyond anything. That was not even wiggling out. Maybe that she was just, had everybody turn a certain way. She had everybody. When they put, tied them up, they were sideways. Yeah. And then they all turned straight and she can <laughs> get out. That's got to be the only, that's probably the best excuse right there. Better than the timeout, since I think that was like an incarnation of the 80s or 90s. <laughs> I don't know. I can't explain that. She did get out of that. Yeah. I'm also a fan of the Pentel. Not that I'm a fan of her just getting out, but I think it made a nice moment. Yeah. For me, for the analysis, because I thought, well, that's just ridiculous. How can I not point that out? But I really like the Pentel parlay shtick. And it's developed nicely over the... <laughs> Movie since, you know, Port Royal. It's like a fine bottle of wine. Yes. First, Elizabeth irritates him by demanding parlay back in Port Royal. Then Jack, well, I mean, it was really Rigetti who helped Jack remember the term parlay, which almost burst a vessel in <laughs> Pintel's head. He even went so far as to curse the French for inventing the word. Now we have him doing the fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me thing. And a third time is not even an option here. Nope. You can say parlay if you want. I don't think he'd honor it. Nobody would honor it. Well, he'll have your guts as garters. Well, that's exactly it. And I like the character development. I think it's just fun that that's like his pet peeve now. Yeah. His pet peeve is anybody asking for parlay. No parlay. Exactly. And then you mentioned what I was going to say is that kind of leads me into guts for garters. Well, actually, it's part of my line of the week. So I think I'll just save that for now. Okay. Unless you have something you want to talk about. Or do you want to move to really bad eggs? I don't have... Oh, I do have one thing. I had to look through my notes really quickly. Didn't realize. So she run. Elizabeth runs up to Barbosa and says, stop it, stop it. For one thing, what's he going to stop? It's an explosion. That's a good point. And I bet you she's wishing she kicked, kissed Will now. Well, okay, there's two things there. Yes to the kissing Will. And why did I tell him about the medallion like that? Yeah. So she's having regrets. And stop it. I think that was just such an automatic reaction. Yeah. Because she started to run at him before. Because she lifts the rope. And she And starts to it. run before it explodes. And she's kind of doing all that as it's going. So yeah. I think it's still just coming out as an automatic reaction. Yeah. But it's not like, hey, send somebody over there. Miss Swan doesn't want us to blow up the ship. Yeah. And But I don't think they realized that anybody was on there still. Do you? No. Do you think they realized? But no. that's the question. Yeah. So they didn't realize anybody was still... Finger quotes on there. No, they thought they got everybody Yeah, in so there. that's why. Yeah. And she just doesn't know what happened. Right. And she thinks that he's still there trapped. Well, he's yeah, still so there trapped. Well, there you go. So now that we got your last little bit in. Thank you. Thank God it's Friday. And I, my weekly calendar, I know the weekend is actually here when it's time for really bad eggs. So that's how I judge when a weekend is here. When there's really bad eggs, then I go, oh, thank God it's Friday. So this is our weekly segment where we throw out our two favorite lines from the week over the last five episodes. And I've been saying it for a while, 
but we really do need to get some special intros made for both the Pirate Word of the Week and the Really Bad Eggs segment. I agree. I hope to get to that at some point. But for now, what do you have? This was a rough week. I just want That's to point that quote. out there. Uh, <laughs> I went with Barbosa's We Name the Monkey Jack. And That's I, a good one. I did that one because it's a that day got Jack, you know, that Barbosa gives. I think I also went with a couple weeks ago when Jack mentioned about the apple to Barbosa, uh-huh. you know, so it's kind of the same thing. But it was a rough week at picking. Uh, there's not a whole lot of dialogue in yeah, this week. Yeah, there's more so explosions and things. Yeah, so it was a little hard, but that's when, what I went with. Yeah, I almost went with Barbosa telling Sparrow the same thing. Wow, really? Yeah, because of the mockery of it and the nod to Treasure Island. And I just thought it really was a fitting tit-for-tat moment, like you were saying. Yeah. Kind of that upper hand shifts to Barbosa since he now has the medallion, as we talked about already. Yeah. So I almost went with that. But I ended up, as you probably guessed from the Guts and Garters comment, I went with Pentel telling everyone to forget parlay. And specifically, if any of you so much as thinks of the word parlay, I'll have your guts for garters. That's a really good line. I already gave my take on the parlay bit when we were talking about that. So I'll just leave that alone. And then I'll get to my favorite part of this particular one is guts for garters. (laughs) And I usually look for some of the symbolism and stuff, but I actually just really like the expression. So I just did some research on the expression itself. To have someone's guts for garters originated in Britain, despite being a long-lived expression there, uses of it aren't really found in any great numbers in other countries. Because I'd never heard this before, before the movie. So it may have well had like this literal meaning as it originated in the Middle Ages. And this is a time, obviously, when disembowelment was used in the UK for torture and execution. So in these more enlightened times that we have now, the expression maybe is obviously like figurative examples. But there is a printed reference to Guts for Garters, which appears in Robert Greene's The Scottish History of James IV, when this is around 1592. And it says, I'll make garters of thy guts, thou villain. Now it's kind of an old English too, so I kind of yeah. I kind of modern English that up a little bit because <laughs> I wasn't going to try some older English or just even some 1500s English, especially in Scottish. <laughs> wasn't going to go there. Whether that was a literal threat or whether people did actually make garters of guts, I don't really <laughs> think that they did, but who knows what they did with their enemies back then. It is open to question. Worst things have happened, and we do know that in that time period, punishment of hanged, drawn and quartered, you know, these are all things that actually were on the book of, or the statute book of England until, you know, 1790s. Yeah. So is it really that far-fetched to see what was going on there? But I don't know. Who Who's going to wear garter guns, Who wants though? to wear that exactly? <laughs> Nobody does. There are several other instances in the 16th and 17th centuries of illusions of the use of someone's guts being made into garters. And sir, I will garter my hose with your guts. The earliest use of the actual wording guts for garters comes quite a long time later in a piece by William Curry. And that's in the Dublin University Magazine in 1843. And he says, I'll butter my knife in him and I'll give him his guts for garters. So that is it. It's been this historical reference that I had never heard of until this movie and never really paid attention. So that's what I'm ending with. Plus, it's a great way to end the week, really, and start our weekend by telling everyone out there that I'm going to have their guts for garters if they don't come back on Monday. (laughs) And tell your friends to give us a listen as well, you scurvy dogs. (laughs) Or maybe I should not insult the audience. That's maybe another tactic, the friendly tactic, that I should probably think more about. But maybe next time. So for now. Guts for garters. Guts for garters. You have anything else? 
Nope, that's it for the week. Or Let's for the day. start the weekend. Yes, rum. <laughs> it's always the or first grog. thing on our mind. We'll be back on Monday with Minute 92 of The Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Until then, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. Now give me your guts for garters. Heather, no surprise to find you in the tavern with a tankard full of rum in your hand. What was that for? You said you were going to meet me at the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute Cursed Listeners Crew Facebook group hours ago. I was? Mother's love, why'd you slap me again? That's for not reminding people how to contact us. Get to it, you filthy bilge rat. Man, I obviously get no respect around here. Arr! So, Scallywags, thanks for listening. If you like the show, give us a review on iTunes. It helps us out, and we greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment? Give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. We just might play your voicemail on the show. You can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. And don't forget to join the post-episode brawls on Facebook, our Facebook listeners group, and on Twitter. If you're interested in best of clips, you can find us on SoundCloud. All the links are on blackpearlminute.com. It's that easy.